All right, so why are we here? Why do we exist? Here's the sign, right? Let's read this out loud together, okay? To glorify God by guiding people to become like Christ in all of life, right? Doesn't matter which direction the cultural wind is blowing, this is what we do. Doesn't matter what the Cool Kids Church is doing, this is what we do. And, and if you stop them real quickly, why? I mean, why would this be it? Because, because in our freedom, we glorify God. Because in our freedom, we get to vote and we get to demonstrate. We get to show off. We, we vote who is our king, that Jesus Christ is our sovereign in every choice. And, and we do this, our freedom. Uh, we're impressing the spiritual world, angels and demons, with our choices to say, this is what I'm going to make out of my life for the glory of God. God wants us to make disciples of all nations and help people become like Christ in all of life, in our own life as well, because it is the greatest, kindest, most loving ambition God could ever have for us, to become like Christ. I mean, I mean a hard-boiled atheist could easily read through the four biographies of Jesus Christ and look at that man and say, what, what part of his life and character don't I envy? And probably come to the, to the thought, could I be like him? Right. And so God's ambition for us is a loving, kind, great thing. And it's third, it's, it's part of our, it's our design to become like Christ. And every way in our character that we become, every movement in that direction, we're becoming more like we were meant to be. So how do we become like Christ in all of life? Well, last week we looked, or two weeks ago we looked at, well, the primary thing is to be committed to biblical truth. Boom, committed to biblical truth. And so we are, we are doing that. As a matter of fact, save the date. This is kind of fun. We invented the walk through the Bible, and we're going to do it again. In January 12th, a whole church is going to do a walk through the Bible. We'll start in the sermon time and go on to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We'll have a lunch break in the middle. It'll be a blast. Everyone from 6 to 106 is going to have a good time. Save the date and then bring a friend. The walk through the Bible is a great way to see the big picture of the Old Testament and people that are in other churches or don't even go to church, it's a fun thing for them to do. It really, it will be entertaining. So anyway, knowing the Bible, that's one thing is we're committed to biblical truth. The second thing, just to know, knowing the Bible is not enough. And here's why, and this is extremely important, because what the Bible requires for us to do, we can't do. As a matter of fact, the more you know the Bible, the more defeated you often feel about your life because it's requiring great things. And today, one of the things what we're going to do is we're going to discover a key element in trying to become like Christ in all of life, having known what the Bible says. How, do we help, how, do we, how can we do the things that it's requiring when it's so hard to do those things? Now, what I'm going to do, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy. If you want, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, or chapter 4, rather. I'm going to show you this passage, and I'm just going to tell you a heads up to what to look for when we read it. Paul is going to be using a metaphor throughout the whole thing about getting in physical condition. And he's going to say, look, if you know how to get in physical shape, then you know how to get into spiritual shape. In other words, Paul is coaching, there's an athletic term, he's coaching Timothy, Pastor Timothy, to train his congregants to get into spiritual shape, okay? And since Paul does it that way, I'll be doing it that way. And I'll just be going back and forth between physical metaphors and spiritual metaphors and how getting in shape in both is very similar. Got it? 
great. Let's look at the passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll start at verse 6. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words, uh, the words of faith and of sound teaching that, I have, uh, that you have followed. So train yourself in godliness. For while physical training, it had some good value, right? Godliness is valuable in every way, holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is a sure and worthy to be of full acceptance. For this is the end that we toil and we struggle because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Did you hear what he said? Did you see that? Paul is saying you need to get into shape. You need to get into spiritual shape. And how? how? He says diet and exercise. He says diet, what you think. Exercise, what you do. Become like Christ in all of life, he's saying, is spiritual conditioning. That's what he's saying here. Look what he, I mean, look up on the screen. It says the diet, nourishing, right? He says, look, these instructions, the word nourish, nourish on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Hey, that's us. That's us. We're committed, right? We're committed to biblical teaching, biblical truth. Great diet. Second part, exercise. Look how he says, train yourself. Train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way. Godliness, training in righteousness. Look, you know the Greek in this. Okay, when it says train yourself, the word train there is the Greek word gymnasi. Anyone? anyone? Gymnasium, right. And the word uh, training yourself there or physical training there is the, how we get the word gymnastics. So the whole metaphor is just packed with physical, you know, pictures here. And so if, and then he says, you know, if you know that diet and exercise is good for your body, how much more for your soul then? How much more for your soul then? And so what I want to do today is I want to just like look at the way Paul does this. I'm going to leave this whistle right here. I'm not going to wear, I thought about ways of doing this. Okay. It's a metaphor, Okay. Right? We're going to think about how we can physically get in shape so that we can spiritually become like Christ in all of life, which means get in spiritual shape. Let me tell you something about getting in shape physically. I'm going to tell you some stuff, okay? If you want to get serious about getting in shape, here's the key. You're going to need a workout buddy. It's just that simple. You're going to, you're going to need a partner to be accountable to, to give direction with, so that you can go through this stuff together. This is like this, uh, almost a secret weapon. It, it is for the people that aren't in shape. They think it's a secret. People who are in shape know this. You have to have somebody that knows you and encourages you and pushes you to places you would never go otherwise. <laughs> if you saw the, the stuff in my house, I might be like you. I, I bought the equipment. I bought the clothes. I signed up for the gym membership. I watched videos. I know how to do this, but I don't do it. <laughs> I heard some amens there. Yeah, right. Yeah, what's the problem? Need a workout, buddy. That's the problem. You've got to get someone in your life that makes you do the things that you don't want to do. That's working out, doing the things you don't want to do. There's a saying in the field of, of you know, physical fitness. Your worst workout with your partner is better than your best workout by yourself. 
Your worst workout with your partner is better than your best workout by yourself. Because when you're by yourself, you just kind of plateau. You stall. And quite often, you just quit. And the reason is, is there's no one else arguing with the voice in your head. And so you've got to have a workout partner. I mean, you can get along by yourself for a while, but it doesn't last long. Melinda and I used to kind of work out separately. It was a kind of a separate private part of our lives. We had a couple kids, actually three, and by the third ch- child, we were both majorly out of shape. And, but we didn't, we didn't talk about that part. As a matter of fact, I was married to her for 10 years, and I never knew how much she weighed. I actually asked her a few times, and apparently I wasn't supposed to know that. I found out uh, because I looked on her driver's license. In the old days, you put the weight on a driver's license. And can you imagine how, how that changed, right? Like a cop pulls over a woman speeding. A lady, you're going 75 in a school zone. Can I see your driver's license? <laughs> says here, you weigh 102. You weigh 102. I'm a rooster. <laughs> and then she looks at him in his bulletproof vest and his gun. She gives him that stare. You know the stare? And then he says... Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> you slow down, ma'am. Right? That was a dumb thing to put it on driver's license. They don't do that now. That's how I found out. After 10 years, we realized, you know what? We got to share some of these intimate things in our lives. And if you want to know how much my wife waves, I'll tell you, but not in this lifetime. <laughs> but she told me, she told me it got so bad it got good. That's the point. It got so bad it got good. And so here's how we start every day now. If we get up at the same time anyway, weigh-ins. We weigh in every morning. Let's go. Get on the scale. High five or, hey, how's it going? That's it. And then we work out together back in the day. We bought some gym equipment. We, bought some, we learned how to do some stuff, and we worked out together. It was great that I could be married to my workout partner for a while, and then the jujitsu things changed things. She didn't want to do that. So here's the part. Here's the point. You want to do something hard? Here's the secret. Do you want to do something hard? It's easy. Find someone you love to do something with and then make sure you choose to have fun doing it. Find someone to do it with that you like and then choose to have fun while you're doing it. Working out, getting in shape, the metaphor, it's hard work. So you get a partner. And then you do the hard things together. You get a workout buddy. You want to get in physical shape? There's the point. You want to get in physical shape? You need a workout buddy. What he's saying here is what's true physically is also true for your soul's sake. How much more? How much more for your soul's sake to become like Christ? Because he make, in the transition, he says, the physical fitness is good for some value. But soul fitness, it is good for all things. One, one translation goes, physical fitness is good for a short time, but soul fitness, uh, training in righteousness, right, is good for all time, eternally, becoming like Christ in all of life. Get in spiritual shape, he's saying, training in righteousness. And so the life lesson is this. If you want to do something really hard, find someone you love to do it with and figure out a way to make it fun. Spiritual development, becoming like Christ, is really hard. So much harder than physical fitness. So you need to do something. You need to get a spiritual partner. 
And just like hey, physical fitness, uh, there's, there's, okay, you've done, you've, you've done the, nu- uh, the nutrition part. I, I, I've been to the Bible studies. I've been to the conferences. I, I've, I've attended all the right things. I, knew, I have all the vocabulary words. I passed the theology tests. Are you in shape? No. You know why? Don't have a buddy. Not a real one. You know what to do, but you're not doing it. Because the hard things in life, you got to have a buddy for. You need, to, you need someone that knows you and encourages you and inspires you to do the thing you don't want to do. That's what buddies are for. That talks to the voices in your head that keep saying, no, 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 I'm right. I'm always right. We need a buddy because spiritual work is work. Training in righteousness is hard. Don't take my word for it. The coach, Paul, says this in verse 10. For training in godliness is toil and struggle because we have our hope set on the living God. Those, those are very graphic, strong Greek words that are being used there, toil. It could be translated labor or strive. It's the idea of long-term suffering. Wow. And then the second word he uses here for struggle, you probably know this word. The Greek is agonizo. You know that word? Agonize. Struggle and fight and agonize for a long time. That's what it means to get in spiritual condition, become like Christ in all of life. It reminds me of a friend of mine that his first week or so in special forces training, this is how he was greeted. He was told, run as fast as you can, like you're running for your life. And he said, for how long? And the drill instructor said, run. (laughs) Didn't tell him how long. Paul's saying, you know what? You know, you, here's what you need to do. You're going to toil and struggle to become like Christ for, in all of life. And then we say, well, yeah, okay, but how, for how long? And he says, train, go, get at it. I mean, think about it. Think of the examples that are required of us in the Bible, right? To be courageous now and increasingly, right? To be generous now and progressively. To be gentle now and f- forever, To forgive now and then remember that you have already forgiven this person. You want to train in godliness? You have to have a partner. And the partner has to have a backbone that says, look, I'm going to confront those voices in your head right now. You're not right. You're wrong. Here's a great little video clip that you probably saw a couple weeks ago, right? The UCLA basketball player, right? The center threw the ball out of bounds, and that point guard comes over, and he's going to fix that guy. He's not teaching him basketball, the point guard. He's teaching him life. That out of bounds throw, that was two seconds ago. We're playing basketball now. Think to the future. He's molding his soul. That's a great friend right there. There's a super quote I found. I don't know who it's by. Whatever. In the New Testament... Friendships of accountability, mutual encouragement, confession, admonition, and joyful challenge are an indispensable vehicle for what Paul is calling training in godliness. It is amazing. Think about the metaphor again. Leg day. Nobody likes leg day. And, and the point is, you don't, the more you hate leg day, the more you need a partner for leg day. And you're going to feel great that you had a partner having finished leg day. If that's true spiritually, how much more? 
in areas of your life that you don't want to talk about, the areas in your life you most want to ignore because of pain or embarrassment or just, just cowardliness, that's the area where you need a workout buddy. That's the, that's the part of your life that you will absolutely most need it, and you'll be glad that you plowed through it because you had a workout buddy to talk to the voices in your head and get you past that place. Because what we want in, in, to be like Christ is on the other side of fear. And it's that workout buddy that pushes us through that or over it. Training in godliness is toil. That's what Paul says. You're going to need a workout buddy. Becoming like Christ, it's a struggle. That's what Paul says. You're going to need a friend in virtue. Those are Aristotle's words. You cannot get where God is trying to take you by yourself. You cannot get where God is trying to take you all by yourself. Can't happen. We know this. It's so intuitive. Even history books prove this to be true, right? Rocky III, right? That, that's a great movie, kind of. Who's the hero? I'll tell you who the hero is. It's Apollo Creed because Rocky can't beat Mr. T. Mr. T knocked him out in the second round. He's completely defeated. And then, right, Apollo Creed steps in, and what does he do? He helps Rocky find the eye of the tiger. And they run up and down the beach together and kind of do stuff and all that kind of stuff. And then he finally wins. And you know, you know who we can thank for Rocky 4, 5, and like the next three Rockies and Creeds? Apollo Creed. He needed a buddy. He got Apollo Creed. That was supposed to be a joke. That whole thing was going to be lighthearted. I'll go back to Bible teaching. Okay. Now, training in righteousness is so much more, he says. Training in godliness is eternal. If that's true physically, that's true. Training in righteousness is so much harder. Training in, right, in, in becoming like Christ is so much more agonizing. I would much rather kind of miss some pecan pie this weekend, next, next, next week, and maybe run a mile. I'd rather do that than confess my sins, right? It's so much easier to get in physical shape. So much more that you need a spiritual help. You need a friend. You need someone that can confront you, that'll stand up to you, that'll tell you the way it ought to be, a coach, a coach, a friend, a mentor, a workout buddy. That's what he's saying here. You want to get in shape? You can't do it alone. Let me tell you a fun story, uh, a story that happened here at Grace. Uh, coincidentally, over this last year, but particularly the weeks of, of Grace's celebration of 50 years, of, right? We were celebrating 50 years. While that 50-year celebration was going on, Grace Covenant Church was in court. We were literally on trial. There was a woman that used to attend her here. Her name was Kathy Martin, and she'd been attending Grace for 38 years. She'd worked in the recording ministry for 30 of those years. And she was a sweet widow that needed a friend. And in the context of this church, and I think the recording ministry, she found her friend, Helen, her workout buddy. And they were friends for virtue. They were, their ambition was to get in spiritual shape, to enjoy each other. They, they wanted to know and be known. They wanted to love and be loved. 
and they use the women's Bible studies and the various ministries around Grace to connect with other people at Grace and with each other. She, Kathy Martin, had a difficult time living on her rather meager salary, and so uh, we helped uh, bounce some of those books, right? And we helped her understand how to do that. Other needs were kind of needed, and the care ministry rose to that. In 2017, in January, she, um, she passed away. She had a, a, a year-long battle with uh, cancer, and, and that caused her to, to pass away. And she left her estate to Helen and to Grace. And we thought, well, okay, I guess, whatever's left. She was worth over $2.5 million dollars right around there. Actually, a little less than that. Then enters her, her brother, her estranged brother. As a matter of fact, so estranged that he had never made a single initiative to make contact with her in 40 years. I'm being very polite by calling her estranged. He, uh, he was suing us for taking to, two kind of charges. One was was Kathy Martin intellectually capable of doing, making a will? And then were we using undue influence to persuade her to give her, resource, her estate to us? And so the, the idea was that, you know, the church, she thought, we thought she was living month to month. But from his point of view, why would anyone be motivated to help and befriend and be kind and loving to my sister unless it was for financial gain? And so that was the trial. That was the case. And so we were put on trial. And what was fun about the trial was that, that not a lot of people know what other people are doing in the church. Kind of we know what we're doing, but not what. And so the church was required to just line people up that had loved Kathy Martin. It's like, let's go. Swear to God, under oath, what did you do and why? And so Tommy Hurst in, 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 this, in our recording ministry, Tommy Hurst and Dottie McLean were put on, on the stand. And it was awesome. And then the leadership of Grace, some people in leadership, Steve Hake and Robin Weber and Billy Shel- Bill and Shelly Schreier and Ray Anderson, under oath, tell us about the way you treat people at Grace Covenant Church. Helen spent almost an entire day talking about her friendship with Kathy. There were church members watching the court case, weeping with pride because of the way Kathy Martin was cared for all those years. We, no one knew all the different ways that we were loving this person. The only relative of consequence in Kathy's life was her cousin. And her cousin knew about Helen, and her cousin knew about Grace because her cousin knew Kathy. And he said, under oath, he could not imagine Kathy giving her money and her real estate to anyone else except Helen and Grace Covenant Church. On display for angels and demons was this value of becoming like Christ in all of life. And that was the relationship that Helen had with Kathy. And Kathy had with Helen, as a matter of fact, Helen confronted Kathy on forgiveness towards her brother and other issues that were very deep in her life because that's the kind of friendship they had, bold, loving. 
That recording ministry, you go back there, say hi. That's a church. And the pastors are Dottie McLean and Tommy Hurst. And there's churches all over this church. That's why we do what we do. That's how we do it. Bible, a commitment to biblical truth and real relationships. Relationships of conquest, of, cons- of consequence. Because here's, here's life in the spiritual considerations. Becoming like Christ, training in righteousness, training in godliness. It is pushing a boulder up a mountain your entire life and then you die. And if you're going to do something hard, you've got to find someone you like to do it with, and you have to choose to have a good time, make it fun. So, here's the application. Are you in shape? Not that shape. This shape. How's your soul? How is your soul? What condition is it in? Paul says it's diet and exercise here. It is how well you know your Bible, how much Bible study, you know, like here here will be our application. What do you need to do next? Right? What do you need to do next? Is it maybe for you, you know, you're kind of new to the church. It's just coming to church more consistently. I'm going to be here next week. I'm going to be here the week after that. Or maybe the next step is I'm going to start reading my Bible regularly. I'm going to maybe join a Bible study very soon. I'm going to make sure that happens. Maybe it's diet. Maybe it's exercise. Training in righteousness, need a partner. Best prayer I ever prayed, and I've prayed a few times, is, dear God, I can't do this anymore. I need a friend. Most desperate prayer I ever prayed in my 20s was, I need a friend. I just need a David to, like, and Jonathan so we can just go through this because I can't, I can't do this anymore. Pray that prayer. You need a partner. Some of you have partners. You need to say to the partner, it's, I'm running out of time. I need to take this like workout thing to our soul to a new level. Let's talk about these leg days in my life, my finances maybe, or my issues with marriage or whatever it might be. Right? Some of you need to tell your partner. That's what, some of you maybe need a new partner because if your partner doesn't yell at you, maybe they've never worked out. I mean, that's just part of working out is kind of confrontation and saying, you're not doing it right, you're not eating right, you're not doing this stuff right. So you, maybe that's the issue. Because here's what I see, especially in a church like ours, okay? We do a lot of Bible teaching. I look around and I see some of you, and you've been married, you know, I don't know. Well, you've been married for a long time, but you haven't had a marriage. And by that, I mean you haven't had a marriage in a year. Or maybe, you know, years. And if you can count it in decades, what does that say? It says, oh, your nutrition's right. It's the exercise part. Right? You know your Bible, but you're not working out. And you're probably not working out because you don't have a workout partner or you've chosen workout partners that don't push you. Is that what it is? God's ambition, his sovereign rule in our lives is working us towards becoming like Christ in all of life. And we can't get there by ourselves. And so 
Let's start a communion service. Let's go ahead and use this communion service. That's what communion means, right? Commune, community. Could we? It means this. It means we're going to be in this together. And, and not together like we're going to, I don't know, Vancouver, you know, or Cabo. Let's go vacation together. It means we're going to go to the gym together. It means we're going to work our way through this life. How much more is becoming like Christ in all of life that way? Go ahead and, go ahead and start passing that around. You can pass the bread. We have a policy here of what's called open communion. If you love Jesus Christ and you trust only in what he has done to make you right with God, then you take communion with us. It doesn't matter your background. But here, here's what I want us to talk, think about today when we talk about communion. When we talk about the bread here, when we're taking the bread, I want us to think a little bit about our past and how we got this far. And maybe for some of you, it's how did you get this far in life? attending church this long and be this out of shape spiritually? Is it diet? You don't know or study your Bible? Or is it exercise? You don't like being confronted. Because what God has in store for us is when we are like Christ, we will have lives of integrity, of courage, of kindness. We will become better family members and co-workers, ultimately better human beings because when we are like Christ, that is the second Adam that is who'd we be if Jesus were us. So we take this bread together in this sacred moment. This is a, a thing that is spiritual in nature. Let's, it says in the, in the Bible, it says, let's, let's, Examine our souls so we don't take this in a lackluster, light-hearted way. Would you think about how did you get here and what part of it is your responsibility? I'll be back. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the Passover meal and changed its meaning, fulfilled its meaning. And he said, this bread, which represents the sinless life, is my body. It will be broken for you. Only I will be able to do what you cannot do for yourselves. I'll let my body take the consequence for your sin. And he said, take this bread in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, I'd ask, uh, as your spirit has brought uh, to our minds maybe some things that we have done or not done to get us into a place where we are right now. Whether it's a lack of diligence in, in, our, in our minds, the way we think, or maybe it's a slothfulness in what we do, always using energy to avoid a confrontation or a subject or a character trait. So, Lord, I take this bread now as an act of confession that I will take responsibility for the things I need to do. I want to move forward. I want to leave the past behind. And so I take this bread with that in mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread together.
Enough about the past. You guys can hand out the cup now. Let's talk about the future. Could you visualize that basketball scene again? That point guard trying to teach that center that it's not what he did, it's where he's going. You can't do anything about the past, but you can change the ending of this game. So let's do that. That point guard, he was coached by the right kind of coach, and now he's being a coach to one of his teammates. Let's do that. Let's think about, in our time of reflection, before we take the cup together, let's think about what God would want for us in the future, to be a man of God, to be a woman completely surrendered to his will, to have these virtues of integrity and courage and gentleness and kindness, to serve, not rule. Let's, let's ponder what God's dream is for us in the future. I'll be back. All those things that you've imagined that you could become if you were completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, bathed your mind in his word, found yourself a workout buddy, and lived with toil and agony until the day you die, that vision is shallow and petty compared to what God has in store for you. Can you believe he's that good, that loving, that truthful, and that powerful? That's Yahweh. That's the God we serve. So much more. He wants so much more. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup that represented the blood covenant, and he said, this is my blood. Take this together. Our future is sealed. I swear to me, he said, you'll be mine. You'll be with me. Let's take the cup. Jesus told us that we're supposed to practice this uh, ordinance of communion because we will lose hope in our toiling, in our suffering. And so he says, look, you, you practice this to help remind you, and I'm going to add some spiritual dynamics to this, and it'll encourage you in ways that your soul and spirit only understand so that you will do this until I return, until he returns. Let's pray one final prayer, longing for that day. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you gave us this reminder. We're so forgetful. We're parrots. We just we can't remember what happened yesterday, what we had for breakfast. And when we are in the midst of suffering and in toil and the agony and the, the, the exhaustion of the marathon that's, that this godliness requires of us, we, we lose sight of the goal and the prize. And you are our prize. And our lives are that gift to you. And so, Lord, we now remember anew that until you come again or we see you first, we'd ask that you would give us that courage, that you would send to us a friend that we might encourage, develop, and live life with. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.